0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. turning your Bibles to 1 John 5. And our ushers are coming forward. Uh, we'll be in a moment with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Please take one of those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that Bible home with you. That would be our gift for you. Uh, we believe God's Word is powerful and mighty. And, uh, and there's something about just hearing the Word of God proclaimed to you. But there's something important about seeing the Word of God with your own eyes. Seeing it in print. And so that's why I encourage you to turn to 1 John 5. We've been working through this, this letter. These um, hundred and, and just uh, hundred and some verses here in the book of First John, and we're getting near to the end. And uh, encourage you to take notes and, and uh, write down some of the points that we'll be talking about here today. And encourage you to study this at home on your own and share it with others. And may these truths become just a stronger reality in each one of our lives. And so uh, we'll get started here. But First John chapter five, we'll be looking um, at verse 13 in a moment. Now, no doubt you have heard the statement before, there are two things in life that are for certain, two things that are sure. What are those things? Death, Death and taxes, of course. You know that statement, and, and, and truth be known, though, there, there's more to it than the, of things we can be sure. For one, for instance, we can be sure, we can be confident that the... Vancouver Canucks are not going to win the Stanley Cup for a very long time, right? You know, I, I believe, I mean, that, that's just true. We can be confident about that, you know. Um, but, I mean, you know, and all joking aside, there's, there's other things that we can uh, be confident on as well. Uh, one of the things w- we know that British Columbia, it would seem in the summers, we can be fairly confident that there's going to be wildfires in the summer. It just, that's the way it, it seems to go each summer here in the Okanagan and, and in British Columbia. Or even, we can be certain and confident sadly that in in places like Texas right now are get going to get are getting and will continue for the days ahead to get lots of rain and um, and and got a note from one of the harvest pastors who um, there's a number of harvest churches right in in that area they have canceled services today and are making sure their people are safe and and that there's no needs but he said there's tornadoes that are just striking up because of this the weather pattern and, and so much flooding catastrophic flooding and different things that are taking place we need to pray for them, and there may be opportunities to, to reach out in love in some practical ways as well. We'll stay tuned on that. Um, but some of these things that we, we can see, um, there's certain guarantees in life, and and uh, but, but then there are some things that we cannot guarantee. You cannot guarantee, we cannot guarantee that you will always have your health. Today, you may be strong and healthy, but you don't know when that healthy, strong body could all of a sudden start to fail you and and it could sometimes happen a lot sooner than we might think it would. There's no guarantee that the relationships that you have or relationships or even partnerships, say in business or relationships with family or friends that you are enjoying today that are just, you know, just, just going so well that they're always going to be filled with harmony and unity. There's no guarantee for that. In the political and economic world today there are very few guarantees it would seem as we see so much upheaval and turmoil and and, and they try to project what the economy will do and they'll try to look ahead and, and there's no guarantees when it comes to these kind of things. There's no guarantee that this afternoon will go as you planned it. You may already have a plan for this afternoon, a plan for this next week and you don't know how things could change with a phone call or with some incident that happens to you or to some loved ones that all of a sudden things can change. There are very few guarantees. I think of the people with the, the wildfire um, on Thursday afternoon. It just seemed like another normal Thursday afternoon in the Okanagan, a beautiful late summer day. And then all of a sudden, our attention was turned to the southeast skies here in the Kelowna area and, and, and seeing that all of a sudden these billows of smoke were, were meaning that there was some serious trouble going on and, and, and just how quickly people's attention focused to the Joe Rich area and, and this plume of smoke and, and, and so blessed and so thankful for the first responders and, and, and that who've responded and are helping in in these ways to fight the fires, to help the residents. And and, and you think for, for so many people, the 1,100 that are evacuated, how all of a sudden their lives, their plans have quickly changed and things they've been worried about are all of a sudden not that big of a deal because there's a fire raging nearby. There's so much uncertainty in our life. There's very few guarantees it would seem and, and yet God's word reminds us and God's word tells us and we're going to look at it today that we don't have to cower in fear. We don't have to run and hide. We don't have to head for the hills, so to speak. That we can live with confidence. We can live in, in joy and in peace regardless of the circumstances that are going on in our world or even that we're facing in our life. We we know that, that in, in our world there's not a lot of guarantees but when it comes to the truth of God's word we can firmly plant our lives and we can plant our trust in the truth of god's word and john wrote this book the apostle john in his older age nearing death he wrote the book of first john as a letter to some very discouraged and confused christians and 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 he wanted them to know that you could be sure and to have a confidence in christ a confidence in our faith in him and this confidence that we have is not a cocky, arrogant, kind of entitled, take for granted kind of confidence, but, you know, and live recklessly, live however you want, because after all, I have Jesus. No, it's, it's a grateful, humble, thankful confidence where we're blown away. We're undone by the mercy of our Jesus, where we're so thankful. And, and it is a confidence that is based not on what a man says, it's not based on what a pastor or an author says, it is based on the Word of God, what God has has to say, and so First John is written to give us great confidence, and last week we took a look at, at we, as we're getting to the end of the book here, and John is closing the letter to us, reminding us of the things we can be confident of, and that an authentic faith, and he's taken these, the, these first four chapters and into chapter 5 to really explain to us what an authentic faith looks like, and last week we saw in verse 13 of John chapter 5 that an authentic faith gives us confidence that we can have eternal life. That if we are in Christ, we have eternal life. That the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior and our Lord, we turn away from our sin and we turn towards God in humility and confess and turn from our sins. And we embrace Christ as the one and only Savior, the propitiation for our sins. We, We believe and we receive the work that he did on the cross in dying for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. And we take and we receive that and we believe that by faith. Christ comes into our life by the Holy Spirit and a work of transformation begins. And the Holy Spirit works at transforming us from the inside out with new passions, new desires, with a new hunger, with a new family, with an opportunity for us to, to be confident as we grow in our faith and grow in all that it means to be a follower of Christ. And this was the verse that we looked at last week. And, and one of the realities that we looked at last week is, is that we can be confident that we have eternal life. And as we took a look last week and we looked and, 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 and took a sneak peek from the word of God, what does heaven look like? What is heaven going to be like? We know that it's more ama- amazing than we could ever imagine. Amen. Our heaven is going to be more amazing than we can ever imagine. Look at verse 13. Um, Let's read it together. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Our God wants us to know with great confidence that heaven is a reality and we can experience this as followers of Christ. But here's something else we can be sure of. And this is, gives us great confidence and, and it gives us a, a, a great peace and a great understanding here. And the second thing is, is that we can be confident that our prayers are not only heard, but they will be answered. That God hears our prayers and he answers our prayer. Look at in verse 14 of John 5, 1 John 5. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the request that, he, that we have asked of him. Now, in verses 14 and 15, these, these refer to some personal requests and petitions, things that are on our heart, things, desires that we would love to see God do in our lives and in our situations or in, in, in those in our church or in, in family and loved ones. And, and so we can bring our petitions to God in prayer. And I believe that so many of God's children, uh, when it comes to prayer, however, we struggle in this area. We don't know what to pray or, or, or we don't know what to say or we hear other people pray and, and it sounds like they can kind of say it so well and they kind of have the right lingo sort of thing. And, and, and sometimes you might be wondering, are my prayers even making a difference? Are my prayers actually even getting through to God because it seems that I, I pray but there's no answers or, 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 or it's not happening in the way that I'm asking God or... Believe you me, the devil will use any sort of insecurity, any sort of doubt, any sort of distraction to keep God's children from praying. If we know Christ and are in relationship with him, Satan already knows, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to at least keep them away from fellowship with God, from seeking God in prayer and seeing God answer their prayers. And, and, and so the devil will use any sort of, of, of distraction or personal insecurity. Sometimes we think, well, I just don't sound right. I don't know r- the right words to say when it comes to prayer. I don't have the right phraseology. I don't sound like those people in church or those friends or people in my small group would just seem, seem to pray so well. I don't want to mess up. And let's face it, it all boils down to pride, doesn't it? It just comes down to pride that, that, that we, you know, want to sound good or, or we're concerned that we might mess it up. Perhaps we need to think of prayer a little bit more like praying, that prayer is like coming to a father. As a child who comes to their father to ask for something or to tell their father something, to pour out their, their heart to the father in the same way we can come to our God. No pretense the formality as far as having the right words and, 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 and saying in the right order. It's not necessary. We are coming to our heavenly father. You see, when my kids come to me, when they were younger, even now, I don't expect them to come up to me, you know, if they want to tell me something or they want to ask for something, they don't come up to me and say, "Meldon Harold, Lutzer, can we, you know, you know, you know, and then I stop and say, sorry, um, it's To you, Pastor Meldon Harold Lutzer, come on, say it right. You know, like, no, I don't treat my kids like my kids can come to me at any time and they can talk to me. Now, sometimes I'm not like God, obviously. Sometimes I'm distracted. Sometimes they'll tell me something and I don't hear. I'm thinking something else. Not the way with God. God is not too busy to hear from his child. And he wants us. He begs us. He desires for us to come to him and to to share our heart, but an opportunity for us to hear from him as well. And so, there's no right lingo. And, and yes, there is a place for adoration and, and, and seeing and understanding the majesty and the holiness of God. And, and so, we approach him in, in reverence in that way. But it's not with certain words that have to be just right. He is our Abba Father. He is our Daddy. And we can come to him at all times, at any times. Prayer isn't to impress God because he's not impressed by our heart. He knows our heart. He's not impressed by our words because he knows our heart. And our prayers aren't to... Just be words that we use to impress others. Prayer is a way that we bring our requests, our petitions, as well as our praise and our, thanksgiving to God and our worship. And we ought to know that God wants us, should give a, wants us to talk to him in prayer, should give us great confidence, to, to boldly approach the throne. With confidence when it comes to our prayer. And and look at in verse 15. And it says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Wow. So if he's hearing me, he is going to answer. He's going to give me whatever I ask of him. Wow. That's quite something. That's amazing. Now, we got to pay attention here because we have to look at scripture in context because you can just take that verse and that verse has been used and, it, and, and, and is used today by Christian pastors or teachers or, or, or fellow believers who, who love to camp out on verse 15. And, and especially those part of the health and the wealth and the faith movement where, where it's just like anything, anything I want to ask for God, I can just demand it because that's God desires to answer my prayers. Look at this. It even says it here. You know that, that, that he will answer. That whatever we ask. We know that he, we will have the requests. So whatever we ask. We'll have the request. And it's so easy to, to take that verse in that way. That we think for some reason. That God is somehow obligated. To give us exactly what we're asking for. After all it says. We know that we have the request. That we've asked of him. And sadly I've seen this in action. People demanding. Maybe it's demanding a parking spot in the mall. Lord, as I'm driving, you know, give me a parking spot close to the door because I don't need the exercise. I, I just need to get in there fast and I got to hurry it up. Or, or people demanding a healing or demanding money or a promotion or, or that a lost person be saved. And, and, and at times can be asking God, demanding from God some, some very good things even. But um, even at times demanding that God raise a loved one or raise someone from the dead. You just have to have faith. You just have to believe and and don't doubt. And, and, And that kind of teaching can be very real today. And yet we have to look at God's word in context here. Now is God obligated to answer to give us every request in the way that we want? No, he's not. James chapter 4, verse 3, I encourage you to write down that reference, and, and, and that's an important one that, that we see. You ask and you do not receive, it says, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own, on your own passions. That, that at times, wrong motives and self-centered requests can sometimes be our prayers. And God isn't obligated to, to, to answer those prayers. I think of, as a kid, it was great excitement, and some of you can relate to this, and some of you are like, huh? What are you talking about? It was a great day when the Sears Christmas wish book would come into the mailbox. I mean, that thing was like, I mean, that was gold. And, and there were six kids in our family, and I'm telling you, it was like, who has the wish book now? Who has the wish book now? And, and we're going through, and, and, and we're putting our initials beside all the toys that we would want, you know, and, and, and somehow thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if I could just have all of these toys? That would be so amazing if I could just have all these. And you know, we weren't even concerned too much about the price, it would just be, it would just be so awesome. Remember one time seeing Digital Derby, there's nothing digital about it, but it was kind of this little car race game. I wanted the, oh, that thing was starred. It was, I mean, the hints, everything. We think at times that that when we come to God, that that he is obligated to give us digital derby or whatever it is that we want. Just, you know, just, hey, I want this, God. I'm demanding this. I want this. And, and yet we see that's not how we are to approach God, but oftentimes we do. Look at it in verse 14. See, we love verse 15, but verse 14 says... And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then based on praying according to his will, he is obligated to answer our prayers. Love this quote by Warren Worsby. You might want to write, uh, write it down. Warren was a, a pastor for many years at the Moody Church in Chicago. And a great author and, and writer of a commentary series that many pastors have used. And, 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 and this is... The quote, the first part is nothing we ask for lies beyond the power of God. Isn't that true? God is almighty. He's all powerful. We've been worshiping. We've been singing about that this morning, about his might, his power, his glory, his majesty, his holiness. Nothing is beyond his ability to be able to, to be able to do. But then that quote goes on to say, except that which lies outside God's will, God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. See, that's the key thing in there. Nothing is outside. Nothing we ask for lies beyond the power of God except that which lies outside God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose for our lives. And God answers every one of our prayers. He does. And he'll answers, you know, with a yes or a no or wait a while. And you know what, even this past week as I was looking at this message and I was thinking of the way that over the years have, have seen God's faithfulness, even in the midst of oftentimes my lack of faith, my unfaithfulness in, in my own life, and my relationship with God, and I see how he's answered our prayers. And you know what, some of the most profound and the best answers to prayer that I've received over the years, over a lot of the big areas in my life is when God has said no, when he has not answered the things that I've asked for. And he has given me a profound no to that. And you know why he said no is because he knew that wouldn't be right or he had something better in mind. And then you look back a few years later and you just see, wow, I'm so glad, God, you didn't answer that prayer. I'm so glad that you have something so far better. I had such tunnel vision. I didn't see what you were doing, and now I get to see in a, in a smaller way, or in a larger way, still not in the ultimate way. We'll see that all one day when, when we're in heaven, and, and everything will, will make sense that has happened. and we see God's hand in our lives, His faithfulness, and some of the best answers to prayers when God has said no. And some of those answers have come, some of those best answers, and when he says, wait a while, wait a while, and his plan is right. You know, God's timing, God's timing in all situations. When we are heading into church planting, and we're looking at launching uh, three years ago, as we're coming up to three years this October from launch date, there was was a truth that we just held firmly to, that God is never, uh, that God is very rarely early, He's never late, but he's always on time. His plan, his will, his purpose for our lives, even though we get impatient and we want things now, but God's plan is good for our lives. And prayer is discovering and knowing what God's will is. It's not just coming with God. It's also in the discovery mode. You know how when you, you come into an area and you're looking for free Wi-Fi, you know, you go to McDonald's or whatever, you go on your, your device, on your phone, and it kind of goes into this discovery mode, and it's looking for, for the free Wi-Fi for you to be able to connect and you to can I connect to this? You know, in, in many ways that when we pray and when we're seeking God, we're, we should be in the discovery mode. It's not coming in and saying, okay, God, here's what it is. God, what do you want from me? What is your good and your perfect plan for my life? I don't want to mess it up. Oh God, I want to go along with what you have. And the ultimate prayer and the ultimate example of this, of someone who was praying according to the will of God, was Jesus in the garden, facing incredible anguish and abuse and, 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 and ultimately being crucified on the cross and the rejection of God. And as he was in the garden, he's pouring out his heart and he says, if there's any other way I can get through this, I'm open. I would love to be able to not have to go through the cross if there's some way else that you can redeem mankind. But in the end, he says, but God, your will be done. And may our prayers be like that. Oh, God, here's my heart. Here's my desire. Here's my concern. Here's my fear. Here's the anxiety. Here's the issue. But God, in this, I pray that your will would be done. Not my will, but yours be done. But you kind of wonder, okay, so Meldon, how can we have confidence in prayer? How can we be confident when it comes to our prayer lives? God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray with confidence. How do we go about doing that? How do we know what God's plan and what God's will is for our lives so that we can join him in, in praying and in having this kind of attitude when it comes to prayer? What's the primary way that we get to know God's will? Word of God. The will of God is seen so clearly through the word of God. And it is the primary way that God reveals himself to his children. God, I want to marry a non-Christian. God's answer to that is no. You are not to be unequally yoked. That's what God's word has to say. God, I want to have sex before or outside of marriage. Again, God says that the marriage bed is to be kept pure. That marriage is for a, a covenant relationship only. And so God's answer to that request is no. God, I want a divorce because I've fallen out of love. We've fallen out of love with each other. What's God's answer to that? No. There are times a biblical reason for divorce, but just falling out of love and desiring to move on to to someone else doesn't cut it. Not according to God's word. God, help me to win the lottery. Powerball, what was that? Over $700 million U.S.? That was up for grabs this past week. Oh, God, help me to win the lottery, and, and I'll give it all. I'll give so much to your work, and, 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 and I sure could use some money right now. And, 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 and so, God, please help me. Help me to have the winning numbers. God's answer to that kind of a request, no. And we see through the word of God the great warning that we have in God's word about gambling or even the danger of fast money. There's a great danger that comes when, when money comes quickly and, and God's word warns us of that. God wants us to work hard, to work with a full shovel, to earn an honest wage and to give then generously to others and, and to his work and to trust him every step of the way. And God promises to meet our needs and he will be faithful in that when we trust him in that. God, I want to love my wife more. God's answer to that? Yes. Yes. He wants husbands to love their wives. God, I want to be a good good witness at work. God's answer to that? Yes. Yes. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to share Christ with others. God, I want to raise my children in the ways of your word, in the ways of your truth. Yet God's answer to that? Yes, Yes, of course. That we are to train up a child in the way that he or she should go. Another important way of discerning God's will for our lives is is wise counsel. God gives to us wise brothers and sisters in Christ that that we ought to go to. When it comes to making major decisions in our lives, we look at what God's word has to say. And and God's word may say, you know, like, yes, towards a promotion or towards a move just as far as as the clarity that he can give to us through his word and and what we're trusting him for. But God also has given to us Wise counsel, having trusted brothers and sisters in Christ to share with and to talk with and, and to get wise counsel from them. I, I remember when I was dating Charlotte, actually it was even before I was dating Charlotte, I uh, was very interested in her and, and, and kind of thinking, okay, you know, is this going to happen? And, and I even went to some trusted brothers in Christ. And, and, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm interested. What do you think here? You, would you think this could be a good fit for, for me and, and me, a good fit for her? You know, and, and you go to wise counsel when it comes to decisions that, that we have to make. And, and so often over the years, I've been so thankful for that in our lives. Man, um, it, one of the, the people who's given me wise, so much wise counsel has been my mother, before that one of my grandmothers, and and, and, and just men and women in my life who have prayed with me and for me and and have pointed me to scriptures and have helped me to understand the word of God and, and determine the will of God in certain areas in my life. So thankful for that. And another way that we can learn to pray the word of God is through the Holy Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and direct us as we seek the Lord in humility, when we seek him through his word that the Holy Spirit will lead, will lead and he will guide us as we pray and will give us direction and insight. We as Christians, as believers in Christ, possess a confidence and prayer that no one else has. Because as believers in Christ, we have access to the God of this universe through our prayers. And so God wants us to have confidence when we come to him in prayer. But next we see, so, so this is for a personal petitions and our personal requests. But now we see here 1 John going in verse 16. He's talking about intercessions and and our prayers for others. And and this gets kind of interesting and and this is a difficult passage of scripture. And so I I encourage you to listen carefully and we pray. Even now, we've been praying before this service, oh God, would your Holy Spirit just, just give us truth and understanding to what this has to say. Because now we move from Personal prayers of of, of petition to intercession when it comes to praying for others. Look at verse 16. It says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that lead, that do not lead to death. As I said, this is a difficult passage to interpret. And and in verse 16, uh, it says here, we see a fellow Christian This is a brother. This is talking about a a fellow believer in Christ who is sinning and that we have seen it. Notice it says that if anyone sees his brother, it's not a rumor. It's not, I've heard this, you know, or I think this, or I'm going on a hunch. This is not an opportunity for gossip. We are to go to God with that request. We are to pray when we see someone, a brother or a sister in Christ who is involved in an area of sin. And it's praying that God would work in their life, would bring conviction upon them, and that they would repent of their sin. This may be for the backslidden believer in Christ, for a person who has become known as a major gossip and, and you've seen or you've experienced that firsthand or there's pride in their life or a stubbornness or a lifestyle or behavior that is not consistent with scripture. What are we to do first and foremost? We are to pray. We pray that God would bring conviction, that God would bring restoration in their life. These are things that we are to pray for for others. And he refers to this as being a sin that does not lead to death. Death. You say, well, what does he mean by that? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But there's sins of thought, of word, of deeds, of action, sins of omission, things that we should be doing, but we're not doing, or sins of commission, sins that we are committing outrightly before God. And and in some ways, I like the way one pastor described this. This is the garden variety of sin, and we all stumble in different ways. These are all the struggles that, that, that we have, but their struggles—they are areas of sin that, as First John says here, doesn't lead to death. So, what are we to do for a struggling brother, or sister that we see who's involved in sin, who's committing sin, who is backslidden? We are to pray. We pray in humility, pray for God to be at work in their life, that they would repent and they would turn their hearts back to God and stop doing what they're doing. But it's with that humility, knowing that we all stumble. In many ways. And that there will be times. No doubt that other believers will need to be praying for us as well. So let's continue. Part ways through verse 16, 16. It says there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. So he's saying there's sin that leads to death. But there's also sin that leads to death. And we're like, what is he talking about? Well, quite possibly, because of the context in, in which this was written, John was perhaps dealing with a specific sin that as soon as he wrote this and the readers read this, they're like, oh, okay, that's what he's talking about. And, and it was a, maybe it was a question that he had been asked previous to this and it was referred to the sin that leads to death. And they would have known what he was talking about. But we don't know today, 2,000 years later, what specifically sin he was referring to. But here's what we do know from the word of God. We do know that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a sin that leads to eternal death. We know that rejection of Christ and his miracles are sins that if are not repented of will lead to eternal death. But many believe that John was not talking about those kind of sins here. It would seem that he was talking about the person who claims to believe in Christ They have a salvation story. They've been baptized and there has been a pattern of fruitfulness in their life. But now there's, they have fallen into an area of unrepented, prolonged, grievous sin or sinful attitudes or behavior that maybe we don't even see, but that God is aware of. And there is an attitude um, within them like, I don't care. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission I don't care what God's word says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do it anyways. I'll get serious later. I'll repent. I'm going to enjoy this season of sin for a season in my life. And, and, and you know, or, or just the way I am. And I've tried and different things, and I've just kind of given up and I've just kind of given in. God understands me. And these could easily be people who have walked with the Lord. They know the truth, but they are living a life of unrepented, ongoing sin. Now, this kind of Living may reveal that this person maybe truly was never saved. But we don't know that. We don't know the heart. Only God knows that. We see fruit. We see the fruit. We see good fruit in people's lives and we see bad fruit. And yet we can't judge the heart and where a person truly stands before God. Only God knows that. So we don't know that. But it would seem to show in scripture, and folks, this is where we have to pay attention, that there comes a point Where God is telling us here when someone is walking away from God. They're living in unrepented sin. We're not even to pray for them. We step out of the way and let God work in their lives. We let God deal with them. And sometimes God does that. And he says enough. And for that person who was a genuine believer. But has fallen into areas of sin. God has said enough. You're coming home now. Enough of this. Or perhaps these people, as I said, have been portraying themselves as followers of Christ, but truly aren't saved. Here we just see, folks, the seriousness of sin. Verse 17, it says, all wrongdoing is sin. And we must realize that that all sin leads to death, ultimately. It leads to physical death and spiritual death. When Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 were in the garden, they weren't supposed to die. They were supposed to live forever forever. They were supposed to have fellowship and, and relationship with God unhindered. But sin destroyed that. Sin brought an end. Brought on physical death and brought spiritual separation. A spiritual death that needs help. That needs a savior. That needs forgiveness for a relationship to be restored. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says our sins separate us from God. Romans six twenty-three reminds us that the wages of sin... Is what? It's death. Oh, I love that next but in the Bible. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, the wages of our sin is death. Brings physical death. Brings spiritual death. But the gift of God. Oh, how vital it is that people receive that. That gift of God. If you've never received the gift of God through salvation, his grace, his mercy, you need to do it today. And the good news is that we don't have to go to hell for our sins. When we confess our sins, whether it's for the first time, when we come to Christ for salvation, and when we continue to confess our sins before God, one of the the golden verses from the book of 1 John is what? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? Some unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. That's our God, all unrighteous, all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. But in God's word, we see that there are certain times that people have sinned and are living a pattern of sin and they've died. It is a sin that leads to death. And these at times from what we can tell in the word of God, these were godly men and women. People who love the Lord, who would serve the Lord. But because of their sinful attitude or behavior or action, God has said, enough. We see it in Leviticus 10. We see Aaron's sons brought a sacrifice of, of, of incense and used what the Bible calls strange fire. It was unauthorized by God. It showed a blatant disregard for God's holiness and, and, and for his majesty. And, and so God struck them dead. as a wake-up call to, to, to the people not to take God lightly. In Joshua chapter 6, we have Achan who, who stole some of the plunder from, from Jericho when the walls came crashing down and they weren't supposed to take anything. And he took some and he covered it up in his tent. He was put to death. And you might say, oh, Meldon, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. We live in the New Testament time. We're in the New Covenant. We're forgiven for that. Acts chapter 5, the early church. We see Ananias and Sapphira selling some land and then they lied. And this says not only to man, but to the Holy Spirit. They gave some of the money, but they kept some for themselves. But they presented it to the, to the apostles as, here's all the money. It was just a little, you know, just to make them look a little bit better. And God, even in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, reminds us of the seriousness of sin. And they both individually at different times in the same day were struck down and died. First Corinthians 11, it says, and tells us about the seriousness of the Lord's Supper when we take communion. It says that Christians were abusing the communion table. They were making light of it. Making kind of like e- either mockery or turning it into a meal. And, 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 and Paul goes on to say, for this reason, many of you are weak and sick. And some of you have fallen asleep. Meaning some of you have died. Not like, he's not just talking about what some of you might be doing right now. You're sleeping in church. If so, wake up. You know, do a little wake up call for everyone. You know, just say, are you awake? Are you with us? This is important stuff. Turn to your... You wake, You wake. Come on, come on, you wake, You wake. Okay, good, good, good. That's important. These chairs are comfortable. The message isn't. We need to pay attention to it. And, and uh, because it brings life and it brings restoration. It brings hope. And in God's mercy, he does, not, he does not punish every sin with death. But nonetheless, we see the seriousness of sin and how important it is that we pursue lives of repentance and lives, lives of humility and holiness before God keeping short accounts between ourselves and before God and our hearts before him. You know, I have a dear friend who over the last seven or eight years I've admired greatly just as a man of God who loves the gospel. He'd be what we would call a gospel guy, just loves, um, loves the word of God, loves the people of God. And God has used him as a pastor for a good number of years. And God used him and used him to encourage and to challenge me and, and, and others. And recently he told me, he lives in a different province now, and, and he said how oftentimes as he would preach, he would cry. He would cry when he would talk about the mercy and the grace of God. And, and he told me how people would come up to him and and just say it's so moving to, to see your tears and to see your love and the passion for the Lord. And, and, and it's so inspiring and such of an encouragement how, how, how you're so moved as you preach in this way. In January of this year, this dear friend called me to tell me and some other trusted friends of his that he had been for a good number of years a slave to a very terrible addiction. An addiction that was destroying his life. And so just previous to all of this, he had left the ministry, citing various reasons, blaming others for his departure and just needing a break from ministry. Meanwhile, struggling with this area of sin, with this terrible addiction. And finally in January of this year, his life came to a crashing halt and he was found out and he could no longer hide. And he repented before God and before man. In a way that he had never repented before. This time he was serious. It wasn't, oh God, I'm sorry. Whoops, I did it again. This was it. He was on the floor. God brought him low. So he could raise him up. There's been a great support team around th- this man and his family. And it's beautiful to see the restoration taking place. But I told you that story about how he would cry Oftentimes when he was preaching and when he called me early in this new year, he said people saw that as such a strength and something that they, they really appreciated how I would cry. He said, "Meldon, the reason why I was crying when I was preaching, he says, I know I was preaching the word of God. And he said, and I was so scared of the holiness of God in my deliberate ongoing sin, knowing that I was being a fake, knowing that I was doing this, and I was so afraid that God would strike me dead. He said, that's why I was crying. He saw the seriousness of his sin. And finally, the struggle became aware to to others, and he's been able to get help. And it's beautiful to see the restoration and see what God is doing. You see, these are sobering verses, but, show, but folks, it calls us that we need to examine our lives. No matter the sin, no matter the mess that it is in our lives, sin is a serious matter before us and before God. And yet God, in his grace, in his mercy, he reaches down to us when we turn to him in repentance, when we get low before him and tell him we are sorry. Sorry. You say, but I continue to struggle, but that's why he's also given us the body of Christ. So many of us struggle. He he struggled in his silence, this dear friend that I'm talking about. And so many of us do the same thing. Oh, I can handle this. Oh, I don't want people to know the real me. I don't know what they... No, folks, that, that's not going to solve it. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the spirit of God. But he's also given us the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, to walk with us. That's why we do church. That's why we just don't, you know... Uh, have church online and, and just, you know, everyone logs in. No, we need relationship. That's why we just don't have Sunday morning. That's why we have small groups, folks. That's why we get out of the aisles. And, and, and this fall, again, we, we want you to get out of the aisles. I'm not going to get you to do it now. And, 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 uh, but in a more figurative way, we want you to get out of the Sunday morning aisles and we want you to get into a midweek circle. To get in with a group of people that you can walk with, who can walk with you. You say, I don't need anyone, but they need you. And it's arrogant to think that you don't need anyone because we all do. We can have the blind spots and we can have, we need one another to walk with us in, in accountability, not, not youth group for adults. We're looking for, for life change groups and, 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 and group life where we can grow in, in God's word and, and challenge and, and those opportunities will be uh, forthcoming to you this fall and encourage you to take advantage of this. And so we have this struggle in sin and, and, and yet we can have this confidence that our prayers are heard and answered. That when we come low before the Lord, he forgives us when we repent before him. But thirdly, we want to end on an amazing note here. We want to end this, this message today that we can have confidence. An authentic faith gives us confidence that we can experience victory over sin. Victory over sin is possible. Look what it says. We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. But he, who, but he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one here we see in verse 18 John John reiterating what we've already covered in, in the book of John in this series and, and he's telling us he's reminding us that the person who is born of God does not continue to keep on sinning and and, and what he means by this he say but, but I continue to sin in different ways what he's talking about is a lifestyle of willful habitual practice of sin we're done with sin we're going to continue to stumble we'll continue to fall in different areas and, and, and we confess that and we make that right before God but, but he He's talking here that, that about the battle that's raging between the old man, between our old nature, our own sinful, selfish, selfish nature, and the new man, the one that's been given to us through the blood of Christ and, and the Holy Spirit that is within us. And there's this battle that is raging between our, our old life and our desires and our passions and, and the new life that we have in Christ. And, and there's this war going on. And we know that Satan, is, as it even says here, that, that that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The devil is out to destroy the world. He's out to destroy believers. He, he's, but he's on a leash. He's on a leash. And it's only, he can only go as far as God allows. And the good news, as it says in verse 18, it says, The one born of God protects us. Jesus, Who's born of God? It's Jesus. Jesus protects us. That in our battle and in our struggle, we are held firm by the grip of God through Christ When we submit to his will, when we submit to his word, when we're living in humility, that's why we put on, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's why we walk in relationships with others where we're known and we're known by others and and, and to walk with one another in that way to to help see the victory over sin and, and over our struggles and over our fears become a reality in our lives, not just something we hope for. This is the truth of the word of God. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. We want to make war on our sin. We don't want to be comfortable with it. We just don't want to have this little private area in our lives. But he was born of God. We're protected by Christ. What power. What good news. We're not in this on our own. But he protects us. Let's bow together in prayer. Before we pray, I just want to encourage you to even look over your life, even right now. And, and dear folks, I, I will, my greatest desire here is for us to walk out of here, united in the fact that we can be confident that we have eternal life. And that comes by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and as your savior. And, and if you have done that in your life, you, have made Jesus that Lord and Savior. It is the desire and it is the progression that you can even know and realize, yeah, there's stumbling. Yes, there's difficulties. But your desire is one of continuing to repent and continue to follow him. We can be confident that we have eternal life. Confident that no matter what happens to us here on this earth, that we will one day be in heaven and it's more glorious than we can ever imagine. But also, too, that we can have confidence that as we pray, God is listening God listens to our prayers. Part of praying God's will is praying with with clean hands and a pure heart, praying with hearts of repentance. And and, and when we pray, he listens, he hears, and he's answering. And oh, may we pray according to the word of God. When we pray in Jesus' name, amen. That's a wonderful way to pray, folks. That's a wonderful way to, to close any prayer that you pray in Jesus' name. Because what we are saying In that is, I pray this in the nature that is consistent with Jesus. In the will that is consistent with Jesus. You might say, I sometimes don't know what that will and what his nature is in that. And as we say that though in humility, we say, oh God, would you answer every part of this prayer that is in that nature and is in the will of Jesus and whatever it isn't, would you disregard it? We have confidence in prayer. We have confidence that our prayers will be answered, that those who are struggling in areas of sin as we pray, God would do a work in their lives, that they would come in repentance back to him and that we can also experience victory over sin. Thank you, God for the eternal life that you offer us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for answered prayer. And I pray that even even now this prayer that I'm praying in the name of Jesus would be answered, that we would walk out of here today in great confidence with a blessed assurance, knowing that Jesus is mine. And no matter what happens in the course of this week, none of us know that we would know that I am his and he is mine. And that we would stay far away from the enemy, that we would live in submission to your word. We wouldn't go walking around in areas of sin where we, areas of, whether it's in our mind or even in literal places here in the city or on the internet or different things that will cause us to stumble, to fall into old patterns, into old lifestyles. Oh God, I pray that we would run to you, to your word, to your people in authentic ways and allow your word to change and to transform our lives. Would we see prayers answered, bold prayers that we would pray in the name of Jesus to see the lost saved, to see the prodigals return home, the backslidden, be rerouted back to your arms. You would be on their knees and just worshiping and praising you for the restoration that you bring. For those needs in our life, whether it be health issues or family, relational things. Oh God, would we be humble before you and believe you for great and mighty things? And would we experience victory? Victory here on this earth over sin. And when sin pops up in our lives, would we be, whether it even be pride? Spiritual pride, that's one of the worst things, I think, that is is here on the face of this earth. Would we be humble people that are willing to get low before you and others and serving and loving and caring? And that we would experience a great victory in our lives over sin. And we would stay humble and low before you. Lord, we just thank you for this truth. Would you work in our hearts today? Would we repent of those areas that need to be repented of and plead for your mercy and for your strength and for your will to be done in all areas of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and holy and matchless name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing this song of confidence, a victory of joy of what we have in authentic faith.